Hey, this is Nick with Bike Talk, and I'm here with three very important people in the My Figueroa project. My Figueroa is the bike lane that, that's going to go from around USC through downtown. It's going to be LA's first protected cycle track. Do you guys want to go around and introduce yourselves? Sure. This is Eric Bruins, and I'm the planning and policy director for the LA County Bicycle Coalition. And this is Tim Framo. I'm the uh, project manager for the My Figueroa project, and a traffic engineer with the City of Los Angeles Department of Transportation. And this is Deborah Murphy. Um, I'm a consultant to the City of Los Angeles. I wrote the grant six years ago, and I'm also um, working on grant administration, and I'm the executive director of Los Angeles Walks. Okay, so Eric, you want to take it away here? Sure. So we're here to talk about My Figueroa, which is the city's first uh, protected bikeway, also known as a cycle track. Um, it'll connect uh, a number of really important destinations along the Figueroa Corridor, um, including, you know, the Coliseum, USC, LA Live. Um, we have a uh, few major institutions also, in including there's a bunch of car dealerships, there's the AAA headquarters, there's some churches, um, and it really is a key north-south commuter route in and out of downtown for the, for the folks that do live in South Los Angeles. And so, um, speaking for LACBC, we're really excited to see the, um, the city of Los Angeles venture into a, a new world of higher quality bicycle facilities, um, those that will appeal to folks that are 8 years old and 80 years old and, and, and all ages and shapes and sizes and colors in between. And, and so this is a really important um, step for the city because we've been doing such a great job of getting miles of bike lanes down but those miles hasn't necessarily translated into the full range of ridership that we would like to see without the, these higher quality facilities. So we have Tim and, and Deborah. And so Deborah, because you wrote the grant, do you want to kind of give an overview about the objectives for this project? Sure, I'd like to do that. So the grant is funded through the state of California through Proposition 1C, which is called the Infill Infrastructure Grant. The grant's um, were funded through a bond measure that was on the 2006 uh, ballot um, to have infrastructure projects that support new affordable housing um, being developed around the state. And in 2008, when the grant was being written, we had a serious decline in our economy, and one of the few neighborhoods that was seeing um, development activity and met a lot of the other goals of the grant project um, is downtown in South Los Angeles. So. To qualify for the funding, you had to have a lot of new housing, including at least 15% affordable housing. The infrastructure um, to be built with the grant funding was to support that new housing and get people to their jobs, to get people to recreational resources, to be in a community that already had substantial transit investment, um, accessibility, and that new improvements would help people to move through those uh, communities um, on foot, on bikes, and on public transportation to help reduce traffic congestion and improve air quality along with meeting a lot of other important statewide sustainability goals. So um, we qualified for $30 million in grant funding based on the fact that um, over 1,000 units of new housing was going to be built even at this tough economic time. So the project has moved uh, forward to date um, because it met a lot of those goals and a lot of the things that were outlined in the project were to help create stronger neighborhood identity, to connect people, as I said, between their jobs and the existing transit system, as well as um, to other destinations um, that Eric mentioned, Expo Park, um, LA Live, Staples Center, um, all the jobs that are in downtown, and particularly the name of the project was called Linking <clears throat> South Los Angeles to Downtown Figueroa Corridor. Um, we wanted to improve pedestrian walkability as well as pedestrian safety. Um, I mentioned environmental sustainability and bike-friendly street design were all key elements of the scope of work that was written for the um, landscape architects who were hired on the project, Turler Mayor Associates and Melendres. Um, we wanted to make sure that um, we were doing activities um, as I mentioned, that make it better to walk, bike, and, and take public transportation. And through the community process that we had developed over the last four years, 
uh, led to lots of input from community members and um, establishments along the corridor that led us to the current design that has uh, a key component of the cycle tracks um, that then incorporate bus platforms for transit patrons and new street lighting and improved sidewalk conditions for pedestrians along with new street trees and improved intersection designs to um, add to pedestrian safety. So the current design really helps manifest a lot of those goals and um, implementation strategies that were established at the beginning of the project. So how many, uh, how, how much community process uh, was there? How many meetings did, did you have? Um, what level of surveys did you have? Kind of where, where did all the ideas come from? Right. Well, we had uh, two workshops back in 2011, one um, in the northern section um, north of the 10 freeway um, to get input from people in the downtown area, and another workshop um, south of the 10 freeway down at Expo Park, um, where we at each of those meetings had like over, over you know 80 or, or so or more people out at those input meetings where we had kind of workshop type of setting where people could give design input and how the, what their mobility needs were, how they got around their communities today, and how they wanted to be able to move in the future. And um, we also had uh, surveys that were handed out and turned back in. We had um, another round of workshops in 2013 um, to present some of the design ideas and alternatives and to see people's input on those things. Had um, survey forms that people um, and comment cards that people filled out, as well as developed um, a website that people could get in, input, as well as a Facebook page. And um, uh, so we had a variety of multimedia kind of outreach um, in person um, and online, as well a um, number of small meetings that were held with different groups, whether they be um, USC or Expo Park stakeholders or um, developers and property owners around uh, Staples and LA Live, business owners in the Figueroa Corridor or in South Park. So there were lots of meetings with different stakeholder groups as well um, community-wide uh, meetings. And you also had your own Twitter handle, right? I'm not sure how yeah. many streets have a Twitter handle. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so, so it seems like all of the stakeholders were really engaged, including the business owners and the oh, folks representing those large institutions along the corridor. Right. The, the, the two business improvement districts, the Figueroa Corridor, BID, and the South Park Stakeholders Business Improvement District have been involved since before writing the grant. They um, were um, helpful in inspiring the city, um, Los Angeles Community Redevelopment Agency, to apply for the grant. You mentioned a number of great features, including you know enhanced sidewalks, street trees, street lighting, um, transit platforms, uh, and the cycle tracks, of course, which is the part that you know LACBC is most excited about. Tim, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that are associated with building those um, features into a street? Sure. Well, very similarly to the challenges we have with striped bike lanes, um, we're at a point now where our streets are essentially built out and. There's, there are limited, if any, opportunities really to widen streets, very few opportunities. And so I think, and also in, in, tan, in sort of in line with what the project goals are, is to repurpose the existing right-of-way. And that's what we're trying to do here. So with that comes the challenge of essentially having to sacrifice something, in this case in the form of a vehicular lane or, or multiple vehicular lanes, and repurpose that um, for, different, for a different use, in this case, um, pedestrian and, and space for bike for a protected bicycle lane, um, and so there's been you know some controversy um, with specific stakeholders who are concerned about access and concerned about traffic flow um, uh, and how they might be impacted by that you know that that uh, aspect of the project. But what we've seen looking at similar projects in other cities is that uh, these types of projects end up providing great benefit. Um, for the local businesses and, and especially the, the local businesses and residents in that they, they turn the street from, from being a, a commuter route um, to more of a local destination. And I think that's the idea. The idea is to, it's twofold. One is to enhance the commuter route for different modes. Um, specifically, we have these affordable housing units where you have folks that may be uh, transit dependent or may ride a bike for the purposes of commuting and they may not have a choice. 
So one goal is to provide them with a level of infrastructure that we've been providing for vehicles for a long time. The other is really to transform the area um, and to make the street a street where people can gather, enjoy the space, they can walk you know, and have pleasant experiences without experiencing uh, you know, cars racing by them. Um, and so that's why there's a, a number, a suite of amenities being proposed. It's not just the bike facility, it's a number of other treatments to help really redefine uh, the corridor as a public space. You know, our real goal is to make this an economic development and placemaking opportunity, that building infrastructure is our way of investing in our public uh, realm, our streets, um, to help create new place and economic development opportunities for private property owners to um, reap the benefits of that public investment. So it's a really right. public-private right. partnership. And what we've seen in the, from data from other cities like New York and San Francisco is that that typically does happen with these types of projects, that economics, uh, the, the economic vitality of the area increases um, because you are encouraging people to, um, to linger. You're actually Im improving the, the visibility of businesses because you don't have cars going at the speed that they're not going today. Um, and so I think that's what we, we're trying to do is, is show that there's evidence that it's not going to negatively, it's not likely to negatively impact um, the businesses in that, in the in the sense that they think it's going to impact them in terms of access and, and uh, you know to their to their for patrons to to reach those businesses. And what do you think the experience is going to be like riding um, down that corridor after this project is done? And maybe you wanted to say what's different between the cycle track versus a normal bike lane. Well, really, it's geared towards, as you mentioned, the 8 to 80-year-old crowd, so a wider range of, of, of abilities in terms of cycling. Um, it's not going to be built for someone who wants to race down there at breakneck speed on a bike. So it's really going to be it's, – it's more geared towards the safety and comfort and protecting all movements. So you're going to have, as a cyclist, you're going to have very few conflicts um, that you normally have in an existing bike lane or, or a traditional bike lane, I should say, or, or lack thereof, you're not going to have, you're going to have very little turning movements across the bike lane. You're going to have driveways, but you're not going to have, um, for example, at a signalized intersection, you're not going to have right-turning vehicles uh, moving at the same time that you're moving through. So, and you're not going to have buses pulling to the curb that they don't, that they do in situations today on a traditional bike lane. So it's going to be a much more pleasant and comfortable experience um, versus, you know, any other infrastructure that's not as robust in that sense. And so you actually send the bikes around the backside of the bus stops, right? That's correct. Yeah, what so, I like to say, what I'm going to see is lots of smiles on people's faces. <laughs> <laughs> and being so, able to so, enjoy seeing that smile. And right. So city streets can actually make people happy, huh? That's right, exactly. And when they're happy, they want to part with their money. <laughs> So, so have any um, similar facilities gone in along uh, streets in other cities with the same mix of kind of large institutions and auto dealers and, and those types of, of uses? I can't say for sure if, if, you, if, it's, if they've gone in in, the, in, the, in that similarly of a makeup of, in terms of the frontage. I mean, what we've seen is in other urban dense areas like New York, like in Chicago, and San Francisco, they have implemented these facilities on streets that have significant volumes of traffic. Whether they have auto dealers or not, to the, to the degree that Figueroa does, probably not. But um, there's enough similarities, I think, to where the benefits can be can be are likely to be seen. Um, you know, it's 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 it is something new for us, um, and it is a challenge. And we're not, I think, we're not shying away from that. But I think we're at the point now, and especially in line with what the mayor's goals of um, of complete streets and, and great streets is is looking at these big streets that are you know have been seen traditionally as commuter routes essentially and bringing life back into them and seeing them in a different way. So I think Figueroa meets that criteria very well. Well, I know that a lot of people do associate it with those large uses, but there are, are a lot of small businesses along the Figueroa corridor that people don't really see or notice because they're tucked away either in strip malls or they, they just, you know, you're going by them too quickly. I know because I used to, you know, I attended USC, um, we didn't really ever go to Figueroa because it wasn't a nice place to be, and we didn't really ever find out what was there. Yeah, and I think some of that is transforming with a lot of the new housing that's coming into downtown. There's a definite 
demand for people to be able to shop locally and walk to um, conduct their business and get do their daily errands. So I think we're going to see more things transforming from those kind of more auto-oriented uses to more pedestrian and bike-friendly businesses along the corridor with this project or even, I hate, would hate to say, without the project um, because there's going to be much more demand for those uses. And, and frankly, a lot of those small businesses have, from from at least what I've heard at those community meetings, they're, they've been generally very favorably, um, uh, seeing the project very favorably, um, because I think they do realize that um, you know they could be directly um, receiving some of the benefits from from what the the project could do. So, do you feel like they're being heard in this process right now, as we have the larger institutions kind of raising their voices about this project? Um, n not to the extent that they that they should be. I think you know they they were at the public meetings and they have submitted comments, but I think that's been overshadowed in the recent um, you know public hearings and whatnot. So I think uh, you know I think that folks need to be reminded, especially the, the decision makers need to be reminded of the of those voices. It was Do you want to talk a little bit about where this project is in the process right now? Sure. Um, we're at the point now where we're basically wrapping up the construction documents. So we're finishing up the design portion of the project. We've broken the project up into three components. So we have the, the centerpiece, which is Figaro itself, from MLK uh, all the way up to 7th. We have two uh, sort of connecting arms to that spine. So we have improvements on MLK from Vermont to Figueroa, uh, which don't, don't involve any, any changes to the configuration, although my department is where we are also working on bike lanes on King as a separate project. And then there are improvements on 11th Street near LA Live from Figueroa to Broadway. And those improvements are really um, pedestrian focused, although we are adding a bike lane there. We are taking it from two lanes to one. It's a one-way street. The, the real capital investment is to widen the sidewalks and provide a lot of amenities for the pedestrian realm on 11th Street. That's a really important connection between um, sort of the fashion edge of the fashion district and then the entertainment district, LA Live. So um, all three components we expect to start moving into sort of the pre-construction, so that's when we advertise the project and then award, award the contracts. And then um, uh, the construction should start uh, approximately, uh, you know, fall of this year um, for all three components. Um, but we are uh, going through a process now with City Council where um, there, are, there is a, an appeal um, from the owner of the car dealerships as well as a motion from Councilman Price's office. That's the council office that represents the, most of the project area. Um, and so we are, uh, my department and the city planning department are working on reports back to that committee of city council to address those concerns in the, in the reports. And what are the concerns um, from those, the folks that are appealing the project? Well, the appeal initially was written in a way where the concerns seemed to be associated with economic impacts. However, at the, at the last hearing um, that was held at City Council, um, the, the appellant basically voiced different concerns about the lack of consideration of alternative routes. So in our efforts to address those, our report is going to get into some detail in terms of addressing what the challenges would be, you know, to considering alternate routes and sort of what's what's feasible or, you know, what a little history and, and why Figueroa and, and kind of get into more detail there. Um, the the motion is a little different. It's, it's somewhat related, but really talking more about um, asking for, um, again, city planning and Department of Transportation to do a little more uh, a thorough investigation into uh, uh, traffic and really focusing on traffic impacts. Um, and considering related projects, things we did look at in the IR, but there's a request to, for us to kind of get into a little bit more detail. So we're attempting to, to address that as well in a, in a separate report. And what are those traffic impacts expected to be? Well, our EIR did, um, we, ha we, ha we did issue a final EIR, and it did um, go through um, basically the primary impacts are traffic related, and we use a very conservative methodology that's um, part of our locally adopted threshold. So this is all part of the California Environmental Quality Act's requirements. Um, and so we perform simulations, essentially, and we compare the existing conditions um, existing delays at, at all the major intersections, and we compare that to what um, we would anticipate with the project configuration. And we disclose 
essentially the changes in traffic delay based on that. But we assume, we, we really assume a very conservative scenario where we don't assume any real changes in travel behavior or mode, or change in mode. We don't, we really want to keep it conservative because um, in, in, the, in the spirit of an environment, environmental document and disclosing impacts, we want to be sure that um, we have the most robust document that's covering any foreseeable impacts, whether those actually are realized or not. Um, and so there is, you know, the, the numbers do show increased vehicular delay. And I think some increased vehicular de delay is simply unavoidable. Um, but again, our numbers are very conservative. So I think sometimes folks are scared off by the numbers. But what we've seen in other cities, if we look at studies throughout the nation, um, they've shown that similar projects, when, when lanes are reduced, do not result in the, in the amounts of delay that are predicted. So I think it's important to go in, you know, to go into it with that, that, that in mind. Well, and just to clarify, that's delay for drivers only, right? And so, but we yeah. have on that street, you have the Silver Line as a rapid bus. Um, next, you know, one block over, you have the Expo Line. You have any number of other transit routes that run on that street. Are those going to be helped or hurt by this project? Right, generally helped. Um, the, the Expo Line will, will really not be impacted at all. It's on Flower Street, um, although there, there are one of the items in, in the motion that they're asking us to look at um, a couplet option where we would essentially redesign the project and implement a southbound cycle track on Flower, northbound cycle track on Fig. Um, but in doing so, we could potentially impact Expo Line operations. So as the project stands right now, no changes, no impacts to the train. Um, the Silver Line, we would maintain the northbound bus lane, which currently exists north of right around Adams Boulevard. So we really wouldn't impact um, the northbound peak period flow of the bus. Um, there might be some southbound impacts to local bus travel, but Metro has already moved their southbound Silver, Silver Line service onto Flower Street. So I would say, generally speaking, very minimal um, negative impacts to transit. And in fact, I mean, the, the whole transit experience will be improved by way of improving the, the waiting areas significantly. That's great. I think that's one of the, the key things for, for us is lo looking at this as a complete streets project, is it really does benefit everybody except for the travel time if you are choosing to drive into the center of the second largest city in the country, um, which is going to be understandably, there will be traffic delays associated with that. Um, so that, you know, so we definitely see that there are trade-offs, but we're looking forward to making sure that, you know, everybody is considered and, and, and right now the, the street does not serve everybody who needs it to use it. Um, do you have any of safety data for what um, the current conditions are on Figaro and how this project would impact that? I can speak really anecdotally. I don't have uh, w with me here um, the numbers, but um, it's, again, a situation where these similar projects are proven to reduce uh, collision uh, rates. It's, it's very simple. You have slower, lower speeds. You have fewer conflicts. Um, between you know, the, the various uses, especially between bicyclists and, and, and automobile drivers, so you're going you're gonna to likely see a reduction in bike, car on bike, you know, car versus bike, and also car versus car, and probably also car versus pedestrian, really, because of the speed reduction. Um, I mean, we, we, Deborah can speak to this, I'm sure, in terms of data of what happens when a pedestrian is hit at a high speed. Um, you know, when you reduce that speed, you have the greatest chance of you know saving saving lives and saving injuries. Yeah, the basic rule of thumb is if at 45 miles an hour, you have an 85% chance of dying. At 25 miles an hour, you have an 85% chance of living. So do the math. <laughs> we well, and this have project will data. also, it, it'll shorten the crossing distance as well, right? Um, not, well, not really, because even with the bus platforms on, 11, I guess, yes, on 11th Street, yes. But um, on Figaro, we're really keeping the curbs where they are today, with the exception of those bus platforms. Um, and those generally don't really lead in directly to the crosswalk, with maybe a couple exceptions. So that may not actually be, you know, part of the Figueroa um, uh, suite of, of, of benefits. But definitely on 11th Street, you're going to see a huge difference in the pedestrian experience there in terms of, in terms of those crossings. Well, one thing that the pedestrians will have great benefit is that cyclists um, who are now riding on the sidewalk because they don't feel comfortable riding in the bus bike lane that's currently on Figueroa Street, um, are creating hazards, um, you know, ped, ped bike hazards on the sidewalks because many of the riders don't feel comfortable in the bike lanes on the street, on the roadway. So it will be a definite improvement in that case because we saw lots of workers who go to LA Live and 
Staples Center as well as a lot of students at USC riding on the sidewalks. That's a really great point. Um, and, and this also, you know, you mentioned that there will be bike lanes on 11th Street and potentially Martin Luther King at the end of this, um, kind of as part of, but separate from this project. There's also other planned bike lanes that will connect to this project, right? Yes. Um, well, it, on Venice Boulevard, we're planning a combination of bus lanes and bike lanes. So um, immediately west of Figueroa, we are planning to implement bus lanes, which bicyclists can, of course, use. Um, and then we are planning to east of, the, of, of uh, Figueroa to do bike lanes on Venice. And that's part of the, the, the Venice corridor, which has a, primarily bike lanes all the way to the, to the Pacific Ocean. So there's a huge connection there. I'm trying to think if there's any others. I think just, just really connecting into the downtown bike lane network. It's on 7th Street and the existing bike lane north on Figueroa, north of 7th, north of Wilshire. It's very close. Um, tying into that network is huge. So once they get into downtown, you know, folks can then continue to ride their bike to other destinations in the downtown area and beyond. Right, and also we have the brand new bike lanes on 7th Street through the heart of downtown as well. So um, this will connect right into those, right? Absolutely. So what I guess what have we uh, what have we missed in terms of describing the the project's features? We've this really is you know a complete street. Um, it's something that LA has not really seen. Um, this is also uh, this a picture of this project was behind Mayor Garcetti when he introduced his Great Streets Initiative um, last October. Um, do we think that this is basically a prototype for what he's considering, or do we have any information about that? I think so. I think um, it does exemplify in many ways what the idea of a great street can can become. Um, and there are a number of other treatments which uh, the, bike, the bike lanes, the protected bike lanes get the most attention, but uh, really there are a number of other um, improvements. We're, uh, millions of dollars are being spent on lighting improvements alone. So that's to not only replace the vehicular lights and modernize those, but also to add p pedestrian scale lighting in numerous locations. That's part of the overall goal to really improve the, the experience um, for those, you know, for, for all users really, but particularly for pedestrians. Um, and there's going to be landscaping, there will be some signage, dedicated wayfinding signage, new bus shelters in those platforms. Um, so quite, quite a few other improvements, not just, not just for bikes. And do we have any idea of where else um, projects like these are planned in the city right now? This is really the only one of its kind at this at this moment, but there's a lot of discussion in terms of where else this type of project would be best suited. And then the next step, of course, is finding funding. This is such a unique situation in that, you know, as as you mentioned earlier, uh, at the beginning of the conversation, we've been very aggressive in terms of implementing bicycle lanes throughout the city, and those are generally pretty low capital cost. They don't cost a whole lot. And, and it's, it, we, the reason this is the first one is not necessarily because we haven't wanted to, to start implementing these projects sooner. It's that they cost a lot of money, and this is a, an opportunity where we have the grant funding to do this type of project. So I, I hope that it's the first of many to come. Right. In this case, we have, you know, with the design and engineering costs for the four miles of streets, three miles of Figueroa, half mile of 11th, and half mile of Martin Luther King, we have about $20 million dollars. That, in my knowledge, is, um, you know, what are we talking, $5 million a mile. That's probably, you know, four or five times what any other project has ever had um, in the city of Los Angeles. So we not only have a great opportunity, but we have a serious amount of money to, to make some real change that can be a demonstration for the, what the rest of Los Angeles could have as important resources in each of their communities. Well, and the Department of City Planning last week released their mobility element, um, which is part of the general plan and will um, replace an outdated document from the, from the mid-90s. Um, it actually includes a bicycle enhanced network, which they are con considering to be basically a citywide network of protected bikeways, whether those are on-street cycle tracks like Figueroa or whether those are very high-quality, traffic-calmed, bicycle-friendly streets through some of the neighborhoods. But it's looking like there's a 180-mile network of projects just like my FIG um, 
proposed across the city. And one of the things that I'm, I'm really excited about is it actually sets a target of implementing 45 miles of, of protected bikeways every five years. So that once we get going on this, that would be doing three My Figueroa projects every year, right. which I'm sure is making Tim squirm because he realizes how much work that's going to involve, but hopefully we'll give him the resources he needs. Yeah, I think the the the, the vision is, is, is an excellent one. It's a question of certainly allocating the appropriate resources and finding the appropriate funding, but I think having the right vision is, you know, is the first step, and so I think the mobility element does you know, lay the foundation for, for reaching that goal. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the challenges are um, in terms of making these projects a little bit more normal or default? Is it basically just getting comfortable with the changes of design? Is it that, um, you know, LADOT needs to kind of update its, its normal way of doing business such that these projects are not special anymore? What, what, what's kind of going on that we should be aware of? I don't think that's actually it at all. I think we're at the point now where we've gone well beyond the old department where I think you know, we have some great innovative engineers um, in, our, you know, in different various sections of my department that I've had the privilege of working with who see where the direction we're going and are embracing it. And not only embracing it, but are, are uh, applying uh, really innovative um, design approaches and it makes me really, it, it reassures me that um, I'm not really standing alone in the, in the, with these types of projects, that I'm, I have a whole team of really talented individuals. Um, and I think my Figaro will prove that in that we're really looking at a very um, innovative design in order to really, you know, make it the, the, best, the best facility it can be. Um, it's really a question of resources. It's a question of the, the you know, on the elected side of, of coming up with, you know, budgeting the appropriate resources and also, um, you know, finding the funding. Um, it's beyond even just the city of Los Angeles. It goes to, you know, the, the, local, the metro level, the county level, the state level, you know, even all the way to the federal level. It's I, allocating more funding for these types of projects because we're currently, as you know, uh, Eric, a tiny percentage of, of, of money, you know, at those levels is allocated for, for active transportation. We need a lot more to be able to do more of these projects. Right, the numbers that we use um, when working on countywide policy is that um, biking and walking combined are 19% of all trips in, in Los Angeles County. They make up 39% of roadway fatalities, um, people getting killed on our streets every year. Um, but we currently only spend 1% of our transportation dollars on walking and biking. So we need to definitely step up that commitment and, and see um, what, whether that's the next sales tax from, at a countywide level, whether that's um, looking at money that's already coming in from our, from our local return on our current sales tax. I noticed that the mobility element does call for us to spend 20% of our measure our local return on walking and biking instead of just 10% that's currently spent today. So I'm excited that the policy landscape seems to be shifting in favor of investing in these types of projects. Absolutely. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Yeah, and I could, might just add on, um, I'm working on a project to look at pedestrian and bike linkages around Union Station, and we are absolutely considering a um, network of protected cycle tracks um, in a planning effort that we're doing for Metro to connect to Union Station and to the regional connector station at First and Central. Um, the only funding that's available is some funding related to the regional connector where they'll have about $4 million to implement some of the ideas that we come out in this plan. But that might be the sort of next phase of when we can look for some potential um, other protected um, cycle tracks in Los Angeles. Hey, Eric, I have a question for you, actually. I'm Good curious point. to know your thoughts. I was reading a blog recently. Um, uh, it was a, There was a guest writer who discussed a different theory about cycling, and it was really, I guess they're known as a vehicular cyclist. There's this whole notion of um, rather than implement dedicated infrastructure, dedicated space for bicyclists, that there should be more of a focus on uh, encouraging folks to share lanes with cars, and, and that infrastructure actually does more harm. Um, I don't personally agree with that, but I'm curious because I, I feel like there's a lot of folks that, or some folks at least out there that, are, that share that sentiment. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Sure, and, and I, I saw the same post on bikinginla.com, um, and you know there there are some diverging viewpoints out there about the use of infrastructure. I think what we've seen and our position as a bicycle coalition is 
that the evidence is pretty clear that when you build bike lanes, um, people ride bikes, more people ride bikes. And so if you have a goal of promoting ridership, then it's very clear that um, infrastructure has to be part of the solution. I think that doesn't replace the role of education. Um, I think that you know everybody agrees that we need more education, and whether that's in elementary, middle, and high school, or um, whether that is as part of your driver's test, um, in increasing the level of awareness on the part of motorists. You know, it, it absolutely education is a piece of it. But if you don't provide a place that's safe and comfortable um, for to do for people to do the right thing, then they don't tend to do it. And I think what we've found um, in our own bike counts because uh, LACBC is, is the one that organizes the citywide bike counts in Los Angeles every two years, is that when you um, add bike lanes, you tend to double bike ridership on any given street, you reduce sidewalk riding, and you reduce wrong-way riding. And so those are the things that tend to be really dangerous, and all of them are mitigated when you provide a safe and comfortable facility for people to ride in. And I cannot wait to do bike counts after the My Figueroa project goes in because I think it's just going to sh show exactly the same thing, that when you provide a safe and comfortable facility, people will tend to use it, and they're going to tend to use it properly. So on that on that effort, um, I know LA Walks uh, helped support LACBC's effort to do the bike count. Did we do any intersections along Figueroa in the bike count in uh, October? We did. We did Figueroa and Venice um, and Figueroa and 7th, um, and I believe maybe even Figueroa and, and Martin Luther King. So we, we definitely counted um, very heavily along this corridor in order to be able to show the before and after counts. Right. That's great. Well, I might add that when we first started the project with the consultant team, we had um, people meet at 7th and Figueroa, and some people walked, some people rode bikes, some people took the bus, some people drove down Figueroa, some people drove on the freeway. There might have been one other route. Of course, the cyclists, got, so this was to get all the way down to Martin Luther King. The cyclists got there first. Um, the second was the driver along Figueroa. The freeway was, was slower. Um, it took us about an hour. I was part of the walking team. Um, so it was an interesting experience to see the comparison. And so... We all know that mobility can greatly be improved by um, adding to the bike network, and people will actually be able to get there better than they could in their car. And that didn't even include trying to park the car and find a place. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is it usually is faster to bike than people realize. Um, in the county, you know, about half of all trips are less than three miles, and, and that's, three miles is right about that distance where it's kind of, about the same time to drive and bike, less than three miles, which, you know, is, again, half of all trips, are probably faster to bike than to drive if the right facilities are provided. So there's definitely a lot of untapped potential out there um, if we can make the investments that we need to make. I don't know, Tim, what are your thoughts? Because you actually are, you know, when, uh, when people criticize bike lane design, they oftentimes are looking at um, badly designed bike lanes as opposed to well-designed bike lanes. Do you want to talk about some of the features that you try to include to make them um, better and, and not have some of the, the conflicts that the vehicular cyclists point to? Sure. I mean, I think personally that any bike lane, gen almost any bike lane is an improvement over existing condition with a few exceptions. Um, and at least in the case of any project that we implement, we feel that, you know, it's, it's definitely better than the status quo. But certainly there is a, a, you know, you have the whole spectrum of what the benefits can be and when you, as you make the facility more robust. Um, I think with, with MyFig, we, we are not just doing any old protected bike lane. We're actually trying to make the best protected bike lane in, in the nation. And we've looked at what other, other cities have done. And what we're trying to do is really protect the bicyclists as much as possible from other movements. Um, and the, the key thing is how do you deal with the intersections? Because what some other cities have done is they've, they've created these protected bike lanes, but then just shy of the intersection, it becomes a traditional bike lane, and they then have to merge with vehicular traffic. And we're not doing that on Figueroa, and that to me would really defeat the purpose. So we're providing dedicated bicycle signals, which will give positive indications. In other words, the bicyclist will receive a green light for bikes. At the same time, the through vehicles on Figueroa will receive green lights. But the turning movements, the right turns, will be given red arrows. So they will not be permitted to turn in front of the bicyclist. And that's really your number one source of conflict. 
Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, there will be no buses pulling in front of or blocking the bicycle lanes throughout the cycle track portion. So those are the really the key elements of how you make that facility safe and how you also improve the perception of safety. It's not just raw safety numbers. It's actually making people feel safe because I think, I'm sure, Eric, you can attest to this. I think a lot of people don't ride not because it's actually unsafe but because they feel unsafe. So if we can make them feel safer and also improve the actual safety, that's two birds with one stone right there, I think. Absolutely. What are some of the downsides of, of signalizing intersections um, specifically for bicyclists? Well, I think, you know, as, as I think I touched on a little bit earlier, the, the aggressive cyclists who want to just barrel through may be a little frustrated when they have to stop while, you know, other movements are, are occurring that wouldn't otherwise be conflicting movements. So it's not going to be the highest performance facility in terms of getting from point A to point B as fast as possible. It's really tough to do both on a street. You really, the only way to do that, to, to be high performance and, and um, protect it, is to do bike paths, which are typically completely off the roadbed. I mean, you're talking like the LA River. Um, in, a, in an urban environment, it's impossible to really achieve those two goals unless you build like an ele elevated veloways or something of extremely high capital costs. So I think we're, we're, we're balancing it to the best of, of, that we can in this particular environment. Um, it's going to have a minimal increased delay in terms of a similar configuration with the same number of lanes with non-protected movements. So you're only going to have some, maybe some extra delays for those right turners. But we've come up with a very innov innovative way to handle the right turns and, and in a way that will n relieve some of that, I think, to some extent. So um, it's a balancing act. It definitely is a balancing act, but I think we're doing a pretty good job with it. Well, and it sounds like, you know, the same trade-offs in some ways for the bicyclist, which is essentially a, a trade-off between delay and safety. And so, you know, we're having that same trade-off at a macro level with the motorist, and even on the design details for the cyclist, you have the same thing. And what's exciting is in the framework that we're moving toward in the city of Los Angeles is that safety is first. Um, and so we are trying to remove conflicts. And even if, if that takes, you know, 10 seconds at an intersection, then we're basically saying as a matter of policy that that's okay. Right, I agree. I think safety is, of course, it's always been number one for us, but now that it's, it's being addressed more aggressively than ever before in a different way. So I think, um, you know, I think it, it will be, in the end, it's, it's the right way to go. Uh, I think cyclists, obviously, it's tougher out there for them. You know, they're having to, to deal with cons. They have to be more alert. They're having to deal with potential conflicts all the time. Um, obviously, human power, you know, it's, it's you know, burn more energy, and they're not going as fast. It is typically a little bit slower when you get to the longer distances. Um, so we, we want to do our best to try to encourage, you know, to keep the flow, uh, you know, to, to encourage that to the extent we can, but we do have to um, focus on the safety aspect and really make sure that we reduce the conflicts. Well, I think what um, is not... Um, apparent in the conversation, but that is part of the benefit as well. Since there is a right turn arrow, that will also be a benefit for pedestrians so that they can step off the curb without feeling like somebody's going to make a right turn in front of them because they will have right the through, the through um, signal along with the cyclists. Right. What we're actually looking at doing is something quite innovative. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a compromise with that, but we are going to have a situation where um, initially, there will be a red arrow for the right turns, the through movements for the bikes and the, and the adjacent vehicles. And once the bicyclists clear the intersection, that indication will turn to red. But the, the, the motorists will not receive a green arrow. They will receive a yellow flashing arrow, which is uh, permissive. Essentially, it's telling them that they can proceed if they yield. And what they'll, they'll do at that point is yield to pedestrians that remain in the crosswalk. Um, and then they'll be able to proceed. But it will be a form of leading pedestrian interval in the sense that, as Boris mentioned, the pedestrians can step off the curb initially without any other conflicting movements. Um, and that helps us sort of balance the needs of being able to clear those right turners and also get the through movements and keep the safe operation. That's exciting. Are there, are there plans to use leading pedestrian intervals anywhere else in the city? I can't speak to that directly. My, my particular um, section doesn't handle that, but, um, you know, it's something that can always be considered. So it's a tool. It's in the toolbox. Right. It's something that Los Angeles Walks wants to promote and work on. So we'll, we'll move on to that after a lot of our other challenges that we're underway with at the moment. 
And what are some of the other challenges? Do you want to talk a little bit about um, what LA Walks is up to? I know you guys are busy, and us bicyclists don't always pay attention to all the great things that you're doing. So oh, share, well, share what your actually, priorities are. One thing that we're working on together is the uh, street bond. We want to make sure that the city's proposed street bond, remember streets include roads and sidewalks, that the sidewalks are included in that bond uh, measure um, so that we're addressing all users of our streets and not just, um, making sure that the pavement on our roads is in better condition um, and that we do that investment in a smart way, that we set priorities for places where more people are moving, whether on foot or on a bike or in a bus or in a car, so that heavy transit areas or active commercial districts are some of the first places that we do um, the investments um, with that bond so that that would help set some of the priorities for where the money gets spent. Um, we're working on um, trying to look at hit-and-run issues um, and appropriate punishment for people of taking their driver's license away. Um, we're working with the state um, Cal Walks on looking to what other cities have been doing in terms of establishing a Vision Zero, um, in terms of reducing crashes um, and deaths to nothing, uh, to, to deaths to zero. Um, so that's something we're um, going to get underway with. Um, oh, there's other things. i got to think of them all. <laughs> what else am I doing, Eric? <laughs> oh, many many doing? things, but I think the, the street bond is something um, when we, we mentioned earlier in terms of trying to make these types of complete streets more routine. I think um, so for those that don't know, there's a um, proposal by two council members on the L.A. City Council to – um, do a multi-billion dollar um, investment in repaving our streets, and this really started as um, a pothole fixing type program where it really was focused on curb to curb, smooth pavement and nothing else. And what um, working with Deborah and some folks from Climate Resolve and Heal the Bay and Tree People and um, you know community health councils and a whole host of other um, environmental and community-based nonprofits. Um, we've c kind of come together and decided that our streets should be complete. They should be green. We should be in t capturing our stormwater we should, and um, increasing this tree cover. And they should be cool, which is actually um, here in Los Angeles where we have somewhat, you know, 330-plus days of sunshine. We want to make sure that we're um, reflecting as much of that heat rather than holding on to it so that way we can reduce our, our air conditioning bills as well. Um, and so in, in trying to build streets that are for the future, um, we can, you know, rebuild our streets in a way that really advances multiple objectives instead of just basically paving potholes, which I don't think is very inspiring for anybody, um, and it particularly doesn't meet the needs of the future. So we've been really happy to work with, with you and, and other partners on that exciting thing. Yeah, what we call streets, streets of the future, right? Streets for yeah. the future or of the future? <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends who's talking. That's right. Well, and I think the other part of the cool streets is that streets become cool, right? You know, that we want to be out on our public rights of way, that we're out there enjoying each other, that we're adding to the culture and the activity of our neighborhoods. So it can it can be, I don't want to call it hip or trendy, but um, <laughs> that um, people want to be out um meeting each other on our streets. Right, and we just see this, this huge energy in Los Angeles for the, the types of projects um, like My Figueroa as a, as a kind of prototype for these types of things, but then in scaling up these ideas so that when we do make large investments um, into our streets, into our transit system, um, into our highways, that they do take into account the needs of everybody and, and what's truly possible. I think Los Angeles has really been a great um, source of ideas on so many levels and a huge source of innovation, um, but we always sh struggle with dealing with our scale as a county. You know, we are 10 million people in the county, 4 million people in, in the city of Los Angeles, like 6,800 centerline miles of streets. So anytime, anytime we do anything here in Los Angeles, it's, it has to be big in order to make a difference. And so um, thanks to visionaries like Deborah and the pragmatic people like Tim, I think we're going to get there eventually, and hopefully um, we'll see some significant improvements in our lifetime. So any last thoughts for, from either of you? Um, I would just say that 
even though we've talked a lot about mobility, it's also about placemaking and enhancing neighborhoods and making a healthy, sustainable city. So um, we always have to make sure that it's not just about moving people, but it's also about people wanting them to stay in place as well as move between places. Yeah, I would just say, you know, and it's been touched on in the conversation, but safety is the absolute number one goal of in my job and in our department and, you know, really the city of Los Angeles, that's, that's a huge focus of what we do. And so, you know, a lot of folks, I think, end up having the, the discussions that are had are often focusing on bicyclists and specific types of usage versus really what I think the primary goal is always to, to make our streets safer for everybody, not just one particular type of user, but for all users. So I, I think this, this is a project that will exemplify that very well. Great, and I want to thank you both for uh, taking the time to, to speak about this. Um, for those listeners that are interested in finding out more information about this project or just general um, what's happening in Los Angeles, um, please go to our website, www.la-bike.org, and you'll find out about um, our campaigns to bring these protected bikeways across the city. Um, as well as specific pro uh, projects like My Figueroa, Hollywood Boulevard, and any number of other signature things that are going on here in Los Angeles. And Deborah, what's your website for Los Angeles Walks? It's losangeleswalks.org. Um, we do a lot of activities and events and take people on walks. We're doing a big walking day of action on March 4th at Union Station to um, go out there as superheroes to protect pedestrian, um, pedestrians as they cross the street. Um, I might as well mention as well that there's a MyFigueroa.com website um, that has information about the project if you want to see images or get a little more background on the project. There's also a Facebook page, uh, MyFigueroa, and as well that's the Twitter handle. So people who want to follow what's going on, um, we haven't had a lot of updates recently, but as soon as we do, um, you'll be noticed on all that stuff. And we also have a website for our department, uh, our section, I should say. It's BicycleLA.org, and you'll find all the information I think you'll need um, regarding all the projects we're working on and uh, bicycle maps, uh, all kinds of uh, great resources there. Great, and we're expecting this project to come back to City Council's uh, Planning and Land Use Committee kind of in uh, a couple of weeks, um, correct? Hopefully we're still on track, right? Yeah, mid to late March. Date has not been set, but it will be soon. Excellent. So uh, stay tuned to all of those wonderful websites that you just heard, um, and you will find out when this is coming back, because we, we do need supporters of this project to come out and, and be heard. So thank you both very much, um, and that's it. Thanks for listening thank to this you. episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to Programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the Archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS feed link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.